you're only as good as your last picture. Barbara Stanwyck. A very short chapter. Chapter 12. Unlike Mr. Booker, Bob Brown was not a man who, he liked to say, waded through goddamn minutiae, especially the finer points of male versus female behavior. Bob Brown tended to set goals and chart practical points to achieve them. He thought of himself as an integral, fundamental part of the clockwork that regularly ticked out the American dream. He was a big picture kind of guy. His mother had been an RN. His father sold tires. When his big brother, Manny, got him a job in the mailroom at Daryl Zanuck's studio, Fox, Bob Brown took off like a rocket from machine age to space age. It never occurred to him when he met a San Francisco heiress wearing a very becoming snug mohair sweater set on the Fox lot that his trajectory was about to swing way out of orbit. But it did. He and the heiress married and had a child, Natalie. He worked like a dog outside the home and the heiress oiled the clockwork from inside. First, in a darling little cottage her parents gave the young couple in Pacific Palisades as a reward for her giving up a fledgling acting career, which amounted to, according to her father, a seven-year contract to sashay through the background. Later, she balanced being civically active while setting the most scintillating table in Beverly Hills. As Bob raced up the executive ladder, the trophy home he purchased in the flats provided a very sturdy rung. If he had paused to take a breath when he reached the top at 44, he would have seen things were pretty good. When Bob Brown first met the heiress, he thought of her as a fluffy, adorable, slyly funny, perfectly understanding and acquiescing mate. As they grew older, he began to see a steeliness emerge at her core that he respected. And when she approached her change of life a little early in her 40s, there was another glitch in the paradigm, and their roles shifted in another aspect. Theirs was, he thought, a perfect and unvarnished friendship. Their sex life took a dive. Not that it was bad. It was just so infrequent between her plummeting estrogen and his hours. But she got everything. She made insightful and caustic comments on work issues that they discussed at home. In that regard, she was almost masculine. He really thought she would forgive and forget when he was startled to find he had fathered a child with a model he assumed had been on the pill. A model with whom he had had a tactful out-of-town one-night stand. Plus, it was a foreign country for Christ's sake! Please, Evelyn, please. To his confounding dismay, the heiress did not get that. She deemed it unforgivable and inappropriate, and she wouldn't let it slide. He hoped it was just another hormonal swing. Menopause was so very mysterious, but the heiress filed for divorce and went back to San Francisco, where she got on the same board she had chaired in L.A., museum, ballet, hospital, and a few choice charities. His wife left. His daughter, Natalie, was beginning to work on her first advanced degree. His baby, Anne, he was allowed to see only during major holidays and the months of summer. 
Bob started to think of his legacy, a concept long lingered over by men in their late 40s coming to the grips with their shortening lifespans. Did it have to do with ego? Of course. Would he deny that? Undoubtedly. What he wouldn't deny was that his work had to have some meaning. It was his life. His eldest daughter thought her father's life's work, the management of the creative impulse for maximum profit, engendered patriarchal heels and general assholes. His legacy would find no purchase with her. She was fascinated by Hollywood, but didn't want any part of it. So Natalie pursued a life in academia where she could comment and critique, but not, as her father said, get her hands dirty. And, well, as previously noted, Anne was an infant. If his daughters weren't going to enter the family business, then he was going to nurture surrogates. This wasn't exactly a conscious plan. It just kind of happened. He propelled an unusually high ratio of women through his ranks, while encouraging their ambitions and honing their talents. His favorite lieutenant was a feisty, some said bitchy, Becky Nelson. Bob could see his influence on Becky in her adaptation of his speech patterns and her aggressive and straightforward tactics. Whoever followed in his footsteps would have to embody many attributes, so he cast his focus wide, never knowing where he would find the perfect pairing of motivator and spur so key to the making of movies. Why, just recently, one of his card-playing friends, the inestimable Mr. Booker, brought me to his attention. I had my hands on a fine director, a hot script, and a pile of money. Wasn't I a friend of Natalie's? Opportunity seemed to be tapping at the window with an encouraging smile. He would investigate further. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the story, please tell a friend.